It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 155, The Healing of Naaman. After covering the disaster of dynastic struggles in Jerusalem, we'll be traveling north in this episode to recap the struggles in the north and one of the old heroes of the Battle of Karkar and his encounter with God. If you can remember back how we covered this battle, we profiled a young soldier named Naaman. Now, Naaman is the commander of the nation of Aram's army now. He's risen in the ranks to do amazing things. He's held off two additional incursions of the Assyrians and made a name for himself. In fact, the Bible calls him a mighty warrior, depending on your version. And if it's true, he was a very mighty warrior. Even while his reputation has increased, so has his incurable disease that he has, which we creatively inserted at the end of the Battle of Karkar episode. The incurable disease was leprosy, one of the most feared of all diseases in the ancient world. It's going to be a destroyer of people and a reckless force inside civilizations during this time period. Alright, to our historical background here. Joram is the king in northern Israel, and his father was killed by an Aramean, and many probably knew it was Naaman who shot him with an arrow at the Battle of Ramoth-Gilead. Aram is generally still at war with Israel. There's a de facto war going on, on and off again conflict. Whenever there was peace, I believe there was still still raiders going throughout the lands and raiding the countries. Northern Israel was not as strong as Aram, and they had lost parts of Philistia, all of Moab, only to take it back but to destroy it later and virtually annihilate its people. And most of the territory bordering Aram is being slowly taken over by Aram. And it was during one of these raiding parties from Aram into northern Israel that a woman was taken to be a slave. This woman, a slave in the house of Naaman, who will become the real hero and evangelist of this episode. 2 Kings 5 Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken a captive, a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What? (laughs) Here she is, a slave, evangelizing the power of God. How did we end that last episode, All Things to All People?, Here's a slave girl and servant to the wife of Naaman. When she saw Naaman's leprosy, she couldn't help but declare the power of God and the works of Elisha and how he could cure this man's leprosy. What? Seriously, a slave girl, probably beaten and commanded to do all types of horrible things, probably imprisoned by robbers and thieves and mistreated and taken from her family, and she still believed. And believes so strongly she evangelized God's power and anointing and his grace and his healing power to her mistress who told her husband, who was desperate for any answer available. Naaman's response was to go to his king, who authorized him to do whatever was needed to get his healing. 
No doubt Ben-Hadad even knew of the power of God as well through Israel's prophets. 2 Kings 4 Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, the king of Aram said, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So a letter was sent to Joram from Ben-Hadad, his father's arch-enemy, with the only comment that I am sending you my servant Naaman to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. What's wild here is that he's sending Naaman to northern Israel to get his healing. His letter is to Joram, whose father was killed by this man. It's almost funny in this context. There is such irony going on here that God would heal the worst of the enemies to northern Israel. What does it say in Psalms 23? He prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Second Kings 5-7 As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? you got to love the in-your-face part of this miracle and how Israel's idol-worshiping king was tormented by it. It reminds me of that in-your-face moment where Haman in the book of Esther had to proclaim praise over Mordecai throughout the city prior to the end of the book of Esther. There is something so powerful when God humbles the powers that be so easily. Second Kings 5, eight. When Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent his message why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and we he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Isn't it crazy how Naaman sends a messenger to declare the miracle? I mean, Elisha really used his messengers. Naaman's response was extremely negative. But again, in the end, he listened to the advice of others. 2 Kings 5.11 But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would have surely come to me and stand and call in the name of his Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of thy leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Can I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I've heard some really good sermons by pastors who showed the reality of this by acting like they are dipping in the water, and with each dip they are talking about how stupid and foolish and childlike it was to do this, until the seventh time he jumps for joy in his healing. I find it cool it was his seventh dip that brought his healing, seven being God's number for completeness and rest. 
So since concepts in the New Testament have their mirror in the Old Testament, what does this scene represent? But our baptism, of course. And it was in the Jordan where baptism occurs later at the time of Jesus. Prior to Jesus' arrival on the world scene, it was John the Baptist who baptized people in the Jordan, which was described as a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus with preaching and performing baptisms. Jesus himself was later baptized by John, not for the repentance of sin, because he never sinned, but to model for us the walk he purposed for us in life. Baptism, though disputed by denomination, will become an essential part of the Christian walk. Naaman and his healing is a model for this in the Old Testament. 2 Kings 5.15 Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. Elisha graciously denies any gifts that are offered to him. So Naaman is radically healed and transformed. What a story and what a healing in the midst of clashing of swords, chaos in Jerusalem, and a Syrian menace rising in the north. Got to love how light shines in the darkness, and even in the halls of and in the face of worldly power. Now we have to imagine how news travels and what happens when King Joram learns of what happened. First it was his father's enemy, Ben-Hadad, who writes him the letter, commanding him to heal his father's murderer, Naaman. Then Elisha steps in, and God heals Naaman. And from Joram's point of view, God didn't heal his father or his brother who died from the fall from the upper room. It's just a picture of God blessing the humble and judging the proud. Now the story turns bad. It, it's sad to see something nasty happen from this glorious moment. Gehazi, Gehazi, what were you thinking? Second Kings 5.20 after Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, Two men from the company of the prophets have just come from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them, and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. And when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man of God got out from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It was become white as snow. Isn't this just terrible and sad? We see in Gehazi the concept of betrayal. Since we're paralleling Jesus with the life of Elisha, we have to understand Gehazi represents none other than Judas Iscariot, who sold out Jesus for money. 
Here is Gehazi, who betrayed the faith of his master for money and more specifically silver, whose unredemptive symbolism is betrayal. One of the worst things we can experience is betrayal, when a friend, a trusted friend, instantly and overnight becomes an enemy. This is what happened here with Gehazi. There's also an implication, too, when Elisha mentions there's olive groves and vineyards, flocks and herds, and male and female slaves, that Elisha probably knows that he's been stealing for some time. See, the thing is, people's idols betray them. When a person's idols are threatened, their reaction shows how their friendship is valued compared to their idols. Remember how the Shunammite woman wouldn't tell Gehazi? I've got to think she knew of his issues as well. Others knew about it. Surely others knew about Judas before his betrayal. Most likely the disciples and others knew about Judas. Heart conditions can only be hidden so long. Gehazi, who had been profiting from the prophet's ministry, was finally exposed. Years of discipleship of Gehazi ended instantly. This is the sad part, especially for Elisha in the continuation of his ministry. But, according to Jewish tradition, the story of Gehazi doesn't end here. In fact, he's going to be part of a greater story, and a picture of God's grace, and an object lesson for us all. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, God sometimes picks the most unexpected to heal and show his redemption to. Paul has been sometimes referred to as a religious terrorist. How about Nebuchadnezzar, the destroyer of Jerusalem, who repents to God? What about Manasseh, the horrible king of Judah, who repents? In this episode, we see a non-Israelite, not privy to the promises of God, come into his salvation and healing. So like the Roman soldiers in the New Testament who showed great faith, Naaman the soldier receives God's invitation and through faith his salvation and healing. Jesus used the story of Naaman as an object lesson to not reject the power of God right in front of you. Jesus was preaching in Nazareth, and his own family wanted to kill him, rejecting he was the Messiah. Luke 5:24. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The people of Nazareth were about to stone one of their own. No doubt Jesus triggered onto a spiritual truth related to prophets in their hometowns. But we want to focus on the fact that Jesus speaks of Naaman in this scene. The power of God was on display in the man Elisha. Elisha was looking for outlets and ministry opportunities. His king, his own king, Joram, rejected him and worshipped a different little g God. In turn, his ministers followed his lead. Rejecting national revival, Elisha still roamed the nation, releasing God's power and showing himself. Not bringing healings to unfaithful lepers in Samaria, a soldier leaped in faith and followed the advice of a slave in search for great healing and the power of God, even outside of his nation. 
Not everyone gets healed because they do not seek it. Not everyone sees miracles because they doubt. But to the hungry and to those who listen to even the wisdom of a whispering slave girl and act upon it, they cannot be denied the power of God. For all who are hungry, whether they are kings or priests or prisoners or enemies, the truly hungry will be fed, and the thirsty will have drink, and the broken will be healed. Full of grace and truth, the gospel is preached, and God is always pursuing his people and fulfilling those who hunger for spiritual truth and healing. So here's a programming note for the next week. We'll be doing a bit of traveling, so we won't have an episode next weekend, uh, but we will return to it the weekend after. So thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com. <laughs>